When I was growing up in the Church of the Nazarene and in the Methodist Church, and when I was playing Christian music festivals, and when I was going to VBS and church camps and visiting all kinds of churches, hanging out in my little Church of Christ house church plant, there were a bunch of different ways we received communion, and none of them were like the Catholic Church. There were times when uh, there was a tray with a lot of cup holders passed down the aisle, right, where you take your grape juice and another tray um, that had the crackers on it, usually oyster-type crackers. That was one way. There was also intinction where you'd walk up and the pastor would dip something in the cup and hand it to you and then you would uh, consume it. Um, there was also where you'd pass everything around like a loaf of bread and one big cup and everybody would do it that way. There was just about every way you can possibly imagine. I never saw it happen, but I heard tell of places where you were on a youth retreat and nobody had the stuff that they needed, so they did apple juice and ruffles. <laughs> Welcome to another chronologically recorded and released episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. I'm Matt Swaim, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network. Uh, I came from a Methodist and Nazarene background. Kenny Burchard is with us, Director of Development. He is a former Foursquare pastor. Ken Hensley is a former Baptist pastor. He's Director of Pastoral Care. And we all work here at the Coming Home Network because we all somehow became Catholic. And that's the basis of this whole on the journey thing. You can visit us at chnetwork.org. Check out what we're up to. Uh, find more resources. Find previous episodes, especially episodes in this particular series on the mass. Uh, you can join us in our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. <coughs> and if you want to support our work, we would love uh, to connect with you about that. Connect with Kenny Burchard specifically. Uh, and that is at chnetwork.org slash donate. Gents, how are you? Yes, sir. Doing well. I'm good, good to see you. I wore a Christian T-shirt today. Look, I see that. Look at that. I see that. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I was joking before. I might the shirt that I'm wearing under this is also Christian. It's a little bit holy. So, uh, <laughs> but so today we've been going through the mass piece by piece over the last several episodes, and where we are today is usually if you invite your non-Catholic friend to mass, this is the part where they're mm -hmm. like. What is going on? Everybody's moving and doing stuff and standing and sitting and kneeling, and I have no idea what's happening. So if you bring your non-Catholic mm -hmm. friend to Mass, this is when you're going to get asked the most questions. If you are the non-Catholic, this is probably when you're starting to freak out a little bit. Uh, and this all <laughs> happens uh, right before we, re we receive Holy Communion. So we'll start with our own experiences to kind of set this up. Uh, I'll start with mine first. So when I was growing up in the Church of the Nazarene and in the Methodist Church, and when I was playing Christian music festivals, and when I was going to VBS and church camps and visiting all kinds of churches, hanging out in my little Church of Christ house church plant, there were a bunch of different ways we received communion, and none of them were like the Catholic Church. Um, there were times when uh, there was a tray with a lot of cup holders passed down the aisle, right, where you take your grape juice and another tray um, that had the crackers on it, usually oyster-type crackers. And then sometimes, depending on where you were, you would hmm. uh, consume it as you as you got it. Sometimes everybody would wait till the end. That was one way. There was also intinction where you'd walk up and the pastor would dip something in the cup and hand it to you. And then you would uh, consume it. 
Um, there's also where you'd pass everything around like a loaf of bread and one big cup, and everybody would do it that way. There was just about every way you can possibly imagine. I never saw it happen, but I heard tell of places where you were on a youth retreat and nobody had the stuff that they needed, so they did apple juice and ruffles, right? I knew that there were lots of different ways to do it, and my final Church of Christ was more of like an open table experience where you would just leave it out and people would go up and take it as they like. None of that is the Catholic experience. But I was never a pastor, so I want to know, Ken Hensley, as a pastor, you probably had a much more consistent experience of how this whole thing went in your church. I wonder how the process sort of played out in your Baptist congregation. Well, it it sounds like you went to a number of different kinds of churches, right? The way oh, yes. you described oh, and it. And on top of that, I also worked at Family Christian Store and we stole, we sold church supplies. So I got everybody coming in to buy all kinds of different stuff to make these mechanisms work. So I had that experience on top of it too. Yeah, very complex background in your you know uh your memory of all this i think my mine is a little more stable i was in a baptist church and i was a baptist pastor for 11 years and so it was kind of done on in a regular in a regular way but yeah we had the tray with all the little plastic cups filled with grape juice and we had crackers which i can't even remember now what they look like when you say oyster crackers i i, I was thinking i don't remember um, I know we didn't use bread. We weren't tearing apart loaves of bread. It was some kind of crackers, but it was passed. It was passed. You know, the the uh, the ushers would go aisle by aisle, and they would pass the tray, and people would pass the tray to each other, and then pass the plate with the uh, crackers on it. So that's what we did, and people served themselves in that sense. Now, I have been to some of the churches, kind of like the large, non-denominational uh, Jesus movement kind of churches, or other churches where they had it on a table and they would say, you go when you're ready. I know Kenny's going to talk about that a little bit. Kenny and I had a conversation the other day about that. Um, and you said something that really struck me. So I'll leave it for you to say, but I also have a memory of the fact that since we believed that the Lord's table, the Lord's supper was a, was a purely sim, uh, symbolic kind of thing, a time to remember. It didn't really matter what you used. I remember that. So even though we had kind of a stable practice, it didn't matter ultimately what you used. And so when I heard about youth groups or uh, high high school, college age camps or retreats where people would use different things, you know, like you said, ruffles, you know, use potato. I think I even heard about potato chips and Coca-Cola one time. It seemed, it, it, I remember it seemed weird to me. It, it, it seemed irreverent. It seemed like that there was something wrong, but I don't think I could have nailed down theologically why it was wrong. It just seemed irreverent. But yeah, so, so um, my, my background would have been open to a number of things. It wasn't very high church. How about, How about you, Kenny? You, Ken? Kenny? Yeah, I think it's good for everybody watching to know that, um, you know, the variety of experiences that we're talking about here uh, reflects the fact that within the Protestant and evangelical world, there are lots of different perspectives of this. And some people might listen to some of the things we're saying and think it's the greatest thing they ever heard that somebody, you know, took communion like that. And other Protestants would say, that's horrible. I would never think to mm -hmm, do such mm -hmm. a thing. So it's all over the map. But in our church, Ken, I think you and I probably had nearly the same mode 
of um, distributing communion to our congregation using what would be typical communion ware, you know, in a in an evangelical church of you know trays with bread on it and and then uh, trays with individual plastic cups of Welch's grape juice. Those would have been passed out by ushers from seat to seat. Um, bread and wine would have been held in the hand. There would have been occasions where people would just take it as soon as, you know, like, take the tray, grab the bread, put it in your mouth, send it down the line. And I certainly led communion services like that because I was trying to hurry it up. Other times I would ask everyone to wait and hold both the bread and the cup and then someone would do maybe a longer devotional, and then we would instruct people, let us now eat the bread, let us now drink the cup. But it was almost always done in our individual seats. You know, sometimes there would be an occasion where we'd break up into small groups. That was in our church, but I also spent a lot of time because of, you know, my connection with our denomination and other churches traveling around to camps, to conferences, um, to retreats, and, and, and even other churches where I was a guest speaker or worship leader on occasion. And something that I saw fairly regularly begin to emerge in, quote, communion services, and I, I don't have my guitar with me. I thought of, uh, you know, maybe modeling a little bit of what I say. I can play air guitar here. But it would often be, you know, someone at the piano or someone at the guitar and they would start strumming lightly, you know, close their eyes and say something like, okay, everyone, um, you know, strum, strum, strum. We have over here uh, on the side or in the back, um, there's a table, you know, maybe one of these cafe tables or something, a tall, you know, a tall uh, chess level table. And there's this big, huge, round <laughs> loaf of bread from Panera, you know, that's been torn in half and then maybe some communion cups. And we'd be instructed, you know, hey, if you want to go back and just spend some time with the Lord, go ahead and go back there or come up any time over the side. And so people would just start, you know, streaming out of their chair or they would, you know, sit still and, and not move. But you could just get up and go tear off a piece of bread and, and take a little cup. And you were encouraged often in these gatherings to go and find a place by yourself. Go somewhere in the in the worship space to be alone with Jesus with the bread and the the grape juice. And so that to me, which I saw over and over and over again, just is so different and in some ways the opposite of what we as as Catholics mean by the word communion, to go off and be by yourself with a piece of, of bread and, and grape juice in a, in a dark room, you know, with music playing to go and pray, just doesn't speak of communion with the whole body of Christ. And another thing that I saw, um, you know, fairly regularly, especially when COVID started happening, in one church that I'm very familiar with in, our, in my denomination, uh, the pastor was, you know, broadcasting services and he would say into the camera, okay, this is communion Sunday. And uh, we who are here and gathered, we have some bread, you know, and some grape juice. And now you who are at home, um, it's time for you to take out your bread and grape juice. And then this little phrase, guys, or whatever you have, grab your bread and grape juice, 
or whatever you have. Now, to some ears, you know, some evangelical Protestant formed ears, that sounds as normal as can be. But to Catholic ears and to ears who have been formed by or that have been formed by sacramental and Eucharistic theology, that is not good at all. Or whatever you have is it's just not at all how we think about what in the world is happening in communion. And so I can remember, maybe you guys can too, just feeling frustrated that there wasn't um, a theology that held all of this together and that we all held together as <laughs> people who are supposed to be one in, in Christ. You know, Certainly the communion table itself, gosh, I mean, wh what a word picture, to be pushed off to the side or hidden in the back. I mean, to me, I felt like we had lost every semblance of a Eucharistic and sacramental theology. So that's you know, my it would be <laughs> those are my experiences. You know, it would it would be important to add. I think that the three of us came from fairly low church environments. Yes, exactly. That is low, low church Protestantism, because I think that Orthodox Presbyterians listening to this, or Lutherans, yes. or certainly Anglicans, would say, "Hey, you know, I am just as aghast." as you are yes. when you think back about that. So we were in a very we were in very low church um, environments. High church Protestantism would be uh, would be stunned by this by these revelations in the same way that we are now as Catholics. And I think there's something to that Ken that we've talked about this, you know, in previous episodes uh, in the Mary series for sure, in this series definitely we talked about this retained memory, this ecclesial memory, this historical memory that the church has in in herself that she carries with her through time and for you and i and 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 matt to some degree who were part of these movements that in some way had lost by virtue of just where they are located in history in church history have lost some of their ecclesial memory and therefore lost some of the theology that would have been held dear um by christians only a generation Earlier, and I just see this this happening over and over and over again um, as time marches on. So, for whatever that's worth, but I but I think you're right. One other thing I I, I neglected to mention, but uh, I think will make sense in light of where this discussion's getting ready to go, um, is you know, Ken, you mentioned, and and various points in our lives, many of us, of us have seen what's going on in the communion service wherever we happen to be, and we're like, oh, some of this I'm not okay with. Something about this just seems mm -hmm. like, like it doesn't fit. And mm -hmm. uh, for me, one of the ways that it really registered was what what we did with the cups when we were done, right? Uh, I mean, they were disposable. <laughs> You'll notice a very huge difference uh, in what we're about to talk about with the Mass. But I remember this was especially highlighted at a massive Christian music festival where there were thousands upon thousands and thousands of people. And people, you know, drank the cups and they came out with these industrial size black plastic trash bags and you just saw a pile of them afterwards and some of them hanging open with, you know, still like a millimeter of juice or so in them. And I was just like, something about this doesn't sit right. Something about, I was, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking, right. As I was saying to myself, this doesn't seem right because I didn't have like the words or the thought or the context or anything to compare it to, to say, this is not right. This other thing is. I just remember being a little unsettled by that. But Kenny, you were talking about the idea of 
people going off and experiencing communion sort of individually, even though they're in the same room. And in some ways that happens with us as Catholics, right? We all receive communion together as a church, but we all also have this very kind of an intimate experience with Christ and, and prayer in that. Um, so this is a very important part of the Mass. I mean, it's like it, this is where it all sort of comes together. So let's talk about uh, a couple of words, impress and express, right? We'll start with this idea yeah. of impressing, right? Um, how how should we yeah. let what's about to happen sort of impress upon us as we go through this next part of <laughs> yeah. the Mass? Well, I think those are two important words. I, I got this idea from Abbot uh, Jeremy Driscoll, whose uh, books I've really enjoyed on the Eucharist and and learn, learning about the sacramental theology of the Catholic Church. And he was talking about this whole thing that all three of us just went through, where churches are kind of saying, hey, everyone, let's come up with some really cool ways that we could think of to celebrate our church service and do communion and, you know, innovate a little bit. And he he challenges that that impulse with, listen, slow down. The, the liturgy, the Mass, and most particularly the Eucharist, is not about what we want to express. It's not about us trying to come up with cool and innovative ways to express things. Rather, the celebration of the Eucharist and the gathered assembly around the Eucharistic table is there to be impressed upon by God, by God's presence, by God's word, by God's spirit, by Jesus who is bringing us all together to be one in him. So there's no pressure upon us as, as Catholics to just be innovative for innovation's sake, uh, to, you know, to just, just sort of love the idea of innovating all the time, but rather to go to the Mass to be impressed upon, to be impressed, pressed into by the Spirit of God, by those heavenly realities, or as we call them sometimes, those sacred mysteries. So I just wanted to say say that right out of the gate. That's why it's it's very it's very predictable in some in some cases. It's very much you're gonna kind of get the same thing each time you go. And that's because an impression is taking place. You're being held in place, as it were, so that you can be impressed. I just pause right there for any thoughts you guys might have about that before we get into the communion rite. I think that makes sense of the fact that the Mass is something that is basically written out. All of the prayers are written out. I mean, even if there is some variation, the prayers are written out. What we the commun the rite is follows the liturgy follows a pattern that is set because it's there like the like the like an a an objective truth in front of us, it's there to impress upon us. Mm -hmm. And that makes mm -hmm. sense of that. Because if if it's all about expression, then you want it to be as loose as possible and extemporaneous as possible and something that is coming from you. It's the other way around. Mm -hmm. It's this is coming from God to us. So that that's a good thought. Yeah, and yeah. I can't speak for everybody else on this, but I can say that for for myself uh, I think it's because the praise and worship movement was, you know, hitting pretty hard there in the mid '90s, especially through the early 2000s when I was in youth group and heading to a Christian liberal arts school. And, um, you know, when we were going to worship God, we were going to say a bunch of stuff to Him that we had written, right? Um, some of maybe our favorite things to say, right? <laughs> you know, by picking our favorite songs, it was all about expression. And we would express ourselves until we felt like we had gotten God's attention enough to come down and be among us, right? 
in a special and unique way. And I mean, there were plenty of people who were probably a lot holier than me who were like, I'm just going to be quiet until the Lord says something to me. But I know that in my world, the vibe was very much, we're going to express ourselves until we feel the movement of God among ourselves. Uh, so, and a revival will kind of like come upon us. You know, that's that's at least how I thought of things. Whether people meant for me to think of them th that way or not, that was kind of the impression that I got from our expressive way of doing things. Yeah, the mass now is about to impress upon us <laughs> to the point where we're going to join in the body and blood of Christ in a way that becomes internal to the, the whole church. Um, and, and it's really powerful. You know, guys, as we ended the last episode, we ended with the word amen. <laughs> that word's going to recur, by the way, in this section of the Mass. But we all said the great amen at the, at the Mass uh, in which the Eucharist has been confected and Jesus is with us and he is body, blood, soul, and divinity present in the church and, and upon the altar. And now we are moving into what is the, the properly understood to be the communion rite itself, where we all receive communion. And you, you brought this out before, uh, Matt, that properly speaking, in, as Catholics, we don't take communion, we receive it, and we're about to receive it now together. And the way the communion rite begins is really powerful. It is really powerful, and it be, it begins with something so familiar to almost every Christian in the world. The, the communion rite begins this way. After the chalice and the paten, the, the bread, uh, the, the confected Eucharist, the body of Christ, have been set down on the altar, the priest with hands joined says these words, At the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say. And then he extends his hands and together with the people continues doing what? Saying or praying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. So we launch as a congregation when Jesus is present among us. We launch into the Lord's prayer at this point in the math, in the mass. Well, why? Why? Well, because of what Father just said, whoever's presiding over the Mass just said, that at the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare. That is such an interesting word. And guys, I never used that word when talking about my relationship with Jesus uh, before I was Catholic. But something has so happened in the midst of the gathered assembly that we are now daring to do something that Jesus has commanded us to do that's possible because we've been formed by divine teaching. Well, what is this that we dare to say? Well, we dare to call God Father, and we dare to, per to petition him as our own Father because he has brought us into relationship with the Father through what he's done on the cross. So I'm always struck, and I'll turn it over to you, Matt, to reflect on this as well, but I'm always struck right here in the Mass. I just want to say, dare, dare, we dare to say. So, Yeah, there it is a, it is a striking thing to hear. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, a couple of very quick things. Well, actually, I'll save one of them for a moment because there is going to be something slightly different than you know what Protestants are used to in, in a moment at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And I have a funny story related to that. But uh, what people might not notice because um, there's just so much going on in the Mass if you're a new person, and because we've broken this up over so many episodes, they might not realize that most of the prayers, most of the time during the Mass, you're talking to God as Father, right? Um and, and so to say, now that Christ is on the altar among us, for us to say with him, our father, as he says, our father, this is kind of like a new level, right? This is, it's one thing for us to say, we are your children that you created. It's another thing to say that we are your children alongside Christ, your child, your, your only begotten son with whom we have been baptized into, I mean, we've been baptized into and a new life through his sacrifice. So the hour is kind of like a different level here. Um, that's that's what strikes me. Yeah, and this whole thing about the fatherhood of God, and yeah, we dare, to, because of this, because of Christ's body and blood shed for us, now represented on the altar, we dare to say our father. The thing that hits me on this, well, there's about a million things, but I'm going to narrow it down, is that, when Jesus instructs us to pray like this, he's he's letting us know what he cares most about, and he's letting us know how he pre how he prays, how he prays to his father, how he speaks to his father. And the first thing he says is is that that the father's name should be hallowed. And when I hear that, I mean, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I think immediately of Jesus' high priestly prayer, the great prayer that he prayed right before his arrest, which begins with these words, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify thee. This whole thing about God being glorified and his name being hallowed. And, okay, you mentioned the fact that we are re reborn into this faith now, into this fatherhood. But I want to mention something about the Old Testament, because there's a lot of thought that uh, floats around that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New, or there seems to be this 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 difference between the two. And so when we think of the Old Testament, we think of God's revelation of himself. We We certainly think of God as creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We think of God in terms of this of the warrior God who leads his people out of slavery in Egypt with, uh, with, with all these mighty miracles, the ten plagues. We think of God as a righteous judge in the Old Testament who rewards those who are, are faithful and obedient, who punishes those who are not. But I, but I want to make the point that actually God is revealed as Father from the very beginning. The moment, I'm talking Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, the moment that God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, he is, he is announcing himself to be father. And this is something I didn't see for years, in years. When I heard about us being in the image and likeness of God, I thought in philosophical terms like, oh, well, this must mean we're like God. He's a moral being. We're moral beings. He's a rational being. We're rational. You know, things like that, categories. But then... Genesis chapter 5 dawned on me, where we read about Adam and Eve bearing a son, Seth. And, it's, and the text tells us, Adam bore a son in his own image and likeness. And it suddenly struck me, here's the first time that those words occur, you guys, after Genesis chapter 1. And it's about sonship. 
he bore his son Seth in his image and his likeness. To be in the image and likeness of Adam was to be Adam's son, Seth. And therefore, to be in the image and likeness of God is to be God's son. So from the beginning, God created us to be his children, sons and daughters of God. Now, of course, this is wrecked by the entrance of sin into the world, and it has to be restored. But once it is restored, I'm thinking about what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, where he says, well, I'll read it, verses 14 through 16. St. Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship when we cry, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so at this point in the Mass, what I'm hearing is now that Christ has been sacrificed for us, our sins have been forgiven, we have been born again into a living hope, and we are now this body. But we're not just this body of individual people from all over the place. We are this body of sons and daughters. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm back to what you said, Kenny. So we stand and we dare to say, our Father, all together as a body, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. We pray the whole prayer. And th the thought that comes to me is this, how would our lives be changed if every moment we lived in the awareness that we are children of God? The fact that we pray together at mass like this is like saying, it's like standing and saying, we are the children of God. Go ahead, Kenny. You want to say something? Amen. Yeah, amen. And, you know, someone helped me with this um, early when I was learning about the mass. And, this, you know, this is not an expression uh, that we came up with. Um, wouldn't this be a really cool place to put the Lord's Prayer? Like, where are we going to put the Lord's Prayer? Uh, let's Let's just put it right here. This is so thoughtful. This goes this goes back to how the church has been celebrating the Lord's table from the very beginning. Uh, it's one of the prayers. It's the Lord's prayer. And we join our voice not only with those around us. This is to Matt's point. I don't only join my voice, you know, to my wife who's on my left, my son who's on my right, and the people around me in the pew. In reality in the fullest sense what i'm doing what you're doing guys when you say the lord's prayer here at the mass is joining your voice to the voice of jesus in how he approaches the father in a sense the lord is inviting us to be the sons and daughters of god along with him and to address the father in christ's own voice with christ's own words so we can say our Father with Jesus, his Father and ours. That's that's what we mean by this. Now we go through this prayer together, which um and, and I'll I'll read it. Can you've done done most of it? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is where uh, this portion of the prayer ends. And from there, <clears throat> whoever's presiding, the priest who presides, will continue to pray in this way. The instruction says, 
with hands extended, the priest alone continues, saying, Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he joins his hand and the people conclude their prayer by saying something very familiar to most of us who uh, prayed, quote, the Lord's Prayer in our non-Catholic contexts. We all then say, after this prayer from the presiding priest, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. We, I was going to toss it to Ken here, but Matt, I know you have something that you want to say about how that's all ordered and how that's all structured and, and how it's all broken up. Just toss it to you there. Yeah, so I don't have anything uh, profound to say, just an odd experience um, that when I got married in a Catholic church, I was still in RCIA and none of my family was Catholic. They're all from like Kentucky and Tennessee and like Alabama and stuff. And they are not, most of them had never set foot in a Catholic church. Um, so that's, the, that's my side of the church. Uh, a lot of my wife's family, well, really only half of them are Catholic and not all of them are practicing. So we decided not to have a mass, but we did have, um, a whole bunch of things that, well, we had a Catholic wedding. So we did include the Lord's prayer. And when the priest, uh, finished this prayer, well, when we all finished the prayer, you know, at the end where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. At least my wife's family had been to like Catholic masses before, but my family had not. They just plowed straight ahead. And so the Joseph side just kept on saying in like the thickest <laughs> Southern drawl, for thine is the kingdom and the power. To like they just plowed on ahead. And the deacon just was like, what is happening? <laughs> right. Because that's one of the, you know, you have somebody come in and say, deliver us Lord from every evil. And then you all come back in and say, you know, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Uh, but yeah, just so you know, um, if if you're a Protestant and you've ever accidentally fallen into that trap uh, of ac- just plowing straight ahead, don't feel bad. Like my entire family did it at my wedding. So don't feel awkward. Just want to put that out there. That's a crack up. That's a crack up. You know, the only thing that I will say about this, the, the, the beauty of this is that we have just finished praying at this moment, the Lord's Prayer all together the words of Jesus given to us, which end with, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here, what I see is that the priest then is just simply turning to apply this prayer in a way and to ask God to do that. You know, Lord, we've just said what you told us to say. Please do it. Deliver us, Lord, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days that by the help of your mercy, we may always be free from sin and say, you know, it's just an expansion on this. It's it's in a way saying, we are taking very seriously what we just prayed in the Lord's Supper, and we're turning to you, Father, and we're asking, please let it, you know, let this be true in our lives. Really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It It's... um. Just a couple of reminders before we jump into the next part of the of the communion rite. And one is just remember, you know, everyone, and you you know, Matt and Ken, what we said at the very beginning of this whole um this whole walk through the mass, and that is that the mass is a prayer of many prayers. It is one great prayer, the great prayer of the church that consists in many prayers. And here we find ourselves finally daring to pray with Jesus our Father. And by praying this prayer, 
at this exact point in the mass, what we're doing, and you guys have alluded to this already, what we're doing is we are joining God's own mission uh, by praying the things that Jesus taught us to pray, praying them ourselves, having our priest pray for us and with us. We're saying, we now, Lord, are ready to join into what you are doing in the world, glorifying your name, bringing about the reconciliation of all people, caring for people, helping um, this world to be delivered from the grip of evil. We want to enter in to participation in the very mission of God, and we'll do that, Lord, beginning with prayer. As you said, Ken, the priest then prays on behalf of the whole gathering, and then we exclaim, the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Well, at this point in the Mass, then, something else happens. In a sense, we're about to announce that the mission of God is taking place in our midst. All the things that we have just prayed for in the Lord's Prayer have begun to happen right around us, because the next part of the Mass is this. It says uh, in the instruction, the priest with hands extended says aloud, as he joins his hands, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will. In that sense, um, what's happening here is a prayer that says, Lord, now that our orientation toward you has changed, we are your sons and your daughters. We're in your family. There's a whole new way that we see you, Father. And there's a whole new way that you see us, sons and daughters uh, who live in your peace, uh, not who are oriented toward you as sinners, but as those who have faith in you. That's, Lord, we're asking you to look at us in this way, is what the priest says. And then he joins his hand and says, uh, who live and reign forever and ever, and the people say, amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, well, let me pause there. Do you guys want to say anything about that? Because the next thing is, is, is really amazing. Matt. I mean, I don't have anything to add to this because really, uh, I hate to break up the momentum of what's about to happen here. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, the same well, here. What's about, the same here. Yeah. What's about to happen is, so the priest has just prayed, Lord, you've brought peace between us, these people, and you. And the priest then turns to the people after praying through all this, extending his hands and then joining them together. He says to us, to we who are gathered, the peace of the Lord be with you always. In this way, guys, the Father is announcing what has happened, that the peace of God is with us always. Well, we say the same thing back to him, and with your spirit. And then, depending on who's helping with the Mass, either a deacon or the priest will say this. This is important. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. And then we all turn to one another in the gathered assembly, and we say something like, the peace of the Lord be with you, or peace be with you, or you'll see people holding up the peace sign around them. And I, I want to toss it to you guys very, very quickly here, but let me just say, and this is something I, I share with my wife and my son, that this is not 
kiss your wife, high five your neighbor, and hug your, hug your son time. What, what this is, is the announcement of what has happened to us because of Jesus that we are proclaiming to everyone around us. In a sense, we're saying, hey, you are at peace with God through Christ. Peace be with you. This is now we're participating in the gospel, in, in announcing the gospel to those around us. But, but let me stop there. Ken, anything that you, you no, would want to no. say right here? I want to say, basically, keep rolling because you're saying it well, and I don't have anything to add. Yes, it's an announcement of what has happened, of what Christ has done for us. It's an announcement. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, so the only thing that I'll say here, and I wanted to wait till you got done before I said it, is that uh, I want to make sure that people don't think that, and it, I've been in places where it's treated like the seventh inning stretch, right? <laughs> and uh, this is like, all right, we're almost done. Everybody walk around a little bit, get some blood flowing, you know, take a breather, a little intermission, and right. we'll get back to, we'll back, get back to things in a moment. You know, that's not what this is for. It's not like, hey, bud, how's it going? Good to see you. What about the, what about the Eagles? This, you know, you, right. you know, that's, that, that's not what it's for, right? It's peace be with you. And there's a, a very interesting way that this plays into the, the teachings of Jesus when, uh, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 5, um, about settling matters, you know, with your, you know, people you have problems with. Um, and in Matthew 25, 23, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go be reconciled to them and then offer your gift. Like there's a, there's a piece in the mass that addresses this and it kind of allows with this. It's, it's sort of like this, this way for us to offer peace to one another, right? To, to, to express some show of reconciliation. Now, granted, you know, post-Rona world, it says in the, in the rubrics, um, if appropriate, the deacon says, let us offer each other the sign of peace, right? Uh, so it doesn't happen everywhere, but it happens a lot of places. Um, the, the other thing, too, is that if this is a, a moment of reconciliation and an offering of peace within the church itself, it helps make even more sense of a line that you just read, uh, which uh, really hit me early on when I started going to Mass, which is, uh, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, look not on our sins but on the faith of your church. Like, in some ways, this is like a a way of saying, Lord, we know who we are, but we're trying to make peace with one another. Um, grant us your peace. Uh, and I pray that all the time, actually, outside the Mass, too, right? Look not on your sins, but on the faith of your servant. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your servant. I pray it all the time. Uh, it's a powerful moment in the Mass. Yeah, and it's it's an announcement to those around us. In a sense, here we begin preaching the gospel to those sitting closest to us. And by saying, peace be with you. Why? Peace through the cross, through the blood of his son. Uh, I think now of, of uh, Isaiah 52, right? Uh, Isaiah 52 is at verse 7. Um, I think of a song that I learned when I was a brand new Christian, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming words of happiness, our God reigns. And, and this is what we're doing because of what has been done by Jesus. The gathered assembly begins announcing peace to those around us, peace who are far and peace who are near. And um, this is a really important thing that we do, this 
gathering of Christians has been brought into a peace accord with God and with one another through the blood of Jesus. And we announce that together to those around us. So I, you know, guys, in my parish, I don't know if this happens to you, but something you just said, Matt, you know, about people saying, hey, how you doing? That does happen to me sometimes, I admit, in our, in our, even in our parish, people will say, hey, how are you? Hey, what are you doing after church? And I just want to exhort anyone who's listening right now not to break out of the Mass by doing that, but to break into the Mass right here and announce peace to those around you. The people that I love the most at our mass, there's one, there's one little couple that sits near me, and they, they'll always say, the peace of Christ to you. You know, like when you say, let us offer each other the sign of peace, this couple will say, the peace of Christ to you. And I say, oh, you're doing it right. That is exactly what we're supposed to be doing right here. Because Soon, as we'll, we'll talk about in a very future episode, we are going to leave this place and share that very same thing with the whole world around us. So it begins in the gathered assembly. Okay. So one thing I'll just bear- add real quick. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. Not to be mushy or anything, but when this happens, <laughs> even if there's no sign of peace, even if there's like a big sign of peace, no matter what happens, I always kiss my wife on the cheek first and she kisses me back. Uh you know, if if nothing else happens, because what we're seeing is like the relationship between Christ and the church, bride and bridegroom yes. all playing out in the mass. So like I always make a point that like if I only make one move during the sign of peace, that's the move yeah. I make. Yeah, the holy kiss. Greet one another with the with the holy kiss. This is uh, harks back to um, this instruction of the early Christians found in the New Testament that in their gatherings, the peace that Jesus is bringing about in the whole world begins, you know, like leaven, like a small piece of leaven in the in the lump of dough of the gathered church. It begins to happen in the celebration of the Mass, and it is to go out to the whole world. So we, we um, celebrate that every time we gather. Now, as we are announcing peace, (laughs) I like to say it that way, as we are announcing peace to one another, at the altar now, something begins to happen while the assembly is announcing peace. Father, who you know, whoever's presiding over the Mass will take the host and begin breaking it over the paten and placing a small piece of it in the chalice, and he will say quietly, May this mingling of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ bring eternal life to us who receive it. And then the instructions say, meanwhile, the following is sung or said. And now we we are going to launch into a song together. Lamb of God. Now in Latin, Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. Again, connecting to this peace accord that we have with God and with one another through the Lamb of God, Jesus, who brings about peace. Um, You know, I feel like I should should stop right there just in case you guys want to add anything to that. 
Well, I just want to comment on the on the movement, the logic of what's happening here. Uh, Jesus' body and blood are presented on the altar. Um, the salvation of the world, in a sense, takes place, or that's the foundation of it. That's the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. And then as soon as that's completed, then we stand and we dare to say now, our Father, and we all pray together, every Christian on earth, all praying together, our Father now, and then we turn to one another to say, to announce this peace that has been achieved, you know, the reconciliation of the world in Christ, we announce it, and then now there's a change taking place, because now we're getting ready to receive the body and blood of Christ, and so this announcement of peace Okay, we're done with that, and now it, it, it kind of starts becoming a little more introverted now. Now we begin to think about what we're about to receive. So th that's just what strikes me as sort of the movement. There, there's such a logical movement to what's happening here. And um, I mean, the priest saying, may, may this mingling of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, as he puts it in, bring eternal life. Now, we're talking now about what what is going to happen as we receive the medicine of immortality to quote saint ignatius of antioch so so that's it yeah yeah amen and as we said at the beginning of this whole series that the mass is telling the whole story of salvation so now we are journeying through the paschal mystery through the whole story of how jesus through his life death burial and resurrection is saving the world. And we don't leave anything out, and we consistently announce it to one another. So that's really good. Um, in this next section, guys, you know, sometimes... Actually, let me pause new, you right there, because I just want to give ahead, somebody ahead, a, a clue for the people who yeah. might be lost. If you only need to memorize, like, two big motions in the Mass as a newbie, when you hear the big amen that we started this episode with, you stand. Yeah. When you hear people finish the Lamb of God part that we just heard, you kneel. Right, so just right, if you get right, if you get if you're lost in any two places, remember those two spots, and you may be able to fake it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And if you and if you don't know when to stand or kneel, just look at someone next to you. That'll, exactly, they'll, they'll show you what to do. But yes, so so we kneel. Now I don't know about you guys, but when I first started going to mass, I noticed that the priest would be saying things quote, under his breath, you know, while we were, were doing something. So here we, in a sense, we can stick a microphone up to the priest's mouth in this next part and say, what in the world is he saying here? Well, here, w w when we're kneeling after the Agnus Dei, the, it says in the instruction uh, for the Mass, the priest with hands joined says quietly, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who by the will of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit, through your death, gave life to the world. Free me by this, your most holy body and blood, from all my sins and from every evil. Keep me always faithful to your commandments and never let me be parted from you. Or he may say another prayer uh, that's um, prescribed to him. But then after he says this, he will genuflect in front of the altar Take the host and hold it slightly raised above the, the paten and the ch above the chalice while facing the people, and he will say this. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Here he's quoting 
uh, John the baptizer from the gospel who says as much about Jesus when Jesus comes to be baptized, and what is spoken about Jesus in the book of Revelation. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. So Jesus is the Lamb of God, and we gathered around him have been called to the supper of the Lamb. Now here, we've been called to this supper, right? Well, what's our response to this? What's our response to this? Well, in the Mass, it's this. It's, it's, it's what's true. We say this, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Whoa. Uh, and, and then we say, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Here, we're quoting uh, from a section in the New Testament in which Jesus is going to heal someone and is going to go to his house and heal a relative. And the man says, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Only say the word and my servant shall be healed. We're acknowledging that what's um, what's done in the Mass is that if, if Jesus will only say the word, our soul shall be healed. But no, no, Jesus says, I'll come, you know, I'll, I'll enter under your roof, as it were. Let, let me pause there, Matt. Anything to, to share in this section of the, of the Mass? Yeah, just uh, so when I came into the church, this was not the translation that we were using in English. Uh, it was, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. But I was a good Bible quiz in Protestant. And I knew exactly where this was from when I heard it, right? So I knew exactly this guy saying, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my servant shall be healed. And I equated this, and turns out I'm not the only one who's ever done this with like thinking, the Lord is about to enter under the roof of my mouth, right? <laughs> in Holy Communion, right? Now it turns out that there have been people who've reflected on that kind of thing before, but they were talking about like the body as a temple, like you, like the house of your soul, like your body is the temple and Christ is entering into you sacramentally when you receive the Eucharist. But but yeah, that's a, another one. Like I had thought about that uh, verse, but never thought about it quite in the context of, you know, what it meant for Christ to be within me, right? Like I'd always thought about that as like Zacchaeus coming over to your house today. But once I started to understand like what it means to receive communion, like you're coming under under my roof, like into the house of my actual, like, body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, this is another one of those moments in the Mass that just really jumped out to me early as I first started going. Yeah, the same here, and I like the change. I like the change because yeah, the picture is worth a thousand words, and somehow the metaphor is just really, or the, 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 um, the uh, <laughs> I can't think of the right word, but the, not the metaphor, but the, this gospel story being brought to your mind, if being evoked, is more powerful to me. Was more powerful to me than simply saying, "Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you." And I never tried to go deep and figure out whether the roof was the roof of my mouth or the or the roof of the house of my soul or anything like that. I just liked. I just think about the centurion. I think about the centurion saying that, and uh, and the the fact that I feel the same way. I just feel like, Lord. Yeah, oh, you know, that my Lord should come to me, you know, like, sort of like the words of Elizabeth in a way. Yeah, well, anyway. it reflects what we've been saying in the Latin all along, right? That's it, subtectum meum, right? Like, under my roof. Uh, that was what was in the Latin. And so it had been translated at some point to kind of, like, help the English speakers understand it better. But I feel like I understand it better now that it's more literal, personally speaking. 
Well, here, guys, we are being invited to sup with Jesus, to receive Jesus as the meal itself. And boy, our response to that is, oh, I'm, I'm just not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of it. And I think that's the, the right response. We're not worthy. And yet, and yet, through the work of Christ, we are invited. You know, it's just, uh, this also reminds me of uh, the text in the book of Revelation. You know, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who opens to me, I will come in and sup with him. Well, the presiding priest has just said, you're invited. You're invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Oh, I, I'm not worthy. No, no, come. Come to the table. Come to the altar. Come to the Lord. Well, here in the Mass, communion begins to take place through the eating of the body of Christ and the drinking of the blood of Christ. It now begins to happen in our midst, and it begins with the priest himself. I'm reading right out of the, the Missal here. It says um, that the priest facing the altar says quietly, may the body of Christ keep me safe for eternal life. In case you wonder what your priest is <laughs> saying in the, in the ordinary form of the Roman rite, he's saying, may the body of Christ keep me safe for eternal life. And then he receives the body of Christ. Then he says, may the, as he takes the chalice, may the blood of Christ keep me safe for eternal life, and then he reverently consumes the blood of Christ. And then it is after this, after uh, the the priest receives the body and blood of Christ, that he begins distributing it among the entire gathered people. He may have um, other priests or deacons or uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion um, helping him to distribute it to the people. So, now what's happening is that each of us together is standing up row by row most often and person by person, line by line, streaming forward to receive Holy Communion. And when we come up face to face with whoever is serving us, priest, deacon, or um, extraordinary minister, oh, I hope I'm saying that right, Min <laughs> extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, they will hold up the body of Christ and they will say that that is what it is. So if I go forward, I, I almost always receive it from, from my pastor, from my priest. He'll hold up the body of Christ and he'll say to me as he looks at me in the eye, the body of Christ. Now I will bow my head and then I will say, amen. And then I will either receive on an, an on enthroned hands or on my tongue the body of Christ. I'll say amen to this, that I am receiving into my body the body of Christ. And then I do what Jesus says to do, uh, that you are to eat my body and drink my blood. And anyone who's, you know, uh, taken a dive into the Greek text there, um, Jesus is saying that we're to gnaw it, chew on it. Uh, and I, so I slowly chew the body of Christ and swallow it. And I recognize that as I'm doing that, that I am in communion with Jesus and with his church in heaven and on earth. Yeah. So I have just a, a, a well, the first quick thought off the top of my head is I hope that this helps people understand 
why the church wants us to have our sins confessed before we participate and what this is that we've been doing. You start to see the gravity of it, you know, kind of un unroll, and it makes sense that you shouldn't just go up there uh, unworthily. It makes so much more sense of what Paul says when he says, you know, to not receive the the you know the bread and the cup unworthily like if it is what we've been talking about through this part of the eucharist then of course it makes sense for us to reconcile to god and reconcile to our neighbor before we participate the other thing is is just what what happens here is a kind of a reflection of what happened at the very end of the last episode that we covered right the priest raises the the host above us and the, and the chalice, right, says, through him, with him, and in him, all glory and honor is yours, almighty Father. And we say, amen, as a group. And then we got to go do that as individuals. He raises the host up before us and says, the body of Christ, and we each individually have to say amen. This is why, by the way, among other things, baseball is the most Catholic sport, and I feel like there's more Catholic sim symbolism and imagery in baseball than in any other sport ever, because you win as a team in baseball, but everybody's got to still stand at the plate as an individual, right? And in some ways, that's what's happening here at the Mass, right? You say amen kind of all together, but you also have to say it for yourself in that moment. And and that's something that's that's struck me. Um, it struck me at my son's baptism because it's one of the few times I've sat up front, right? I was used to sitting kind of in the middle of the pack, and so I didn't hear it all. But when we received communion first at my son's baptism, it was actually in the context of a Mass, which is actually... Turns out kind of rare. I didn't know that at the time. Um, but when you're kneeling up there and then you hear like every single person in the congregation go past you and say amen one at a time, you're like, oh, it's not just we say it all together. We all each have to say it. We have to say it in that moment yeah. for ourselves. Yeah, it's a powerful thing. And this is the time in the Mass too when some will remain seated because, uh, again, 1 Corinthians 11 Maybe they know that they are not prepared to receive communion. Um, you know, as Paul said, if you receive unworthily, you receive damnation to yourself and all of that. And so some may, will remain seated. Others will come forward, but, but will cross their arms like this, indicating that they, that they want to receive a blessing, but that, the, but that they're not going to receive communion that day. Um, so that's the time when all this comes into play, too. And so I just wanted to comment on that, piggyback on what you said about yes. 1 Corinthians 11. Yes. There are a couple more things that happen in the communion rite itself, and then we get into the, the concluding rites, and maybe we can take those last couple of things next time we talk and merge them in with the concluding rites, guys. But because um, here in this moment of the Mass itself, each person who is receiving communion has or does receive the body and blood of Christ into his or her own body and chews it and swallows it and returns to their place to pray and to kneel. And by the way, everybody should do that after they receive communion. We said in the last episode that receiving communion is the moment in your life where you're as close to Jesus as you can possibly be in this world until the consummation of the ages. So that's the time to pray your prayers of intercession, to bring your petitions to the Lord, the deep prayers of your heart in that moment of closeness. Um, but Matt, maybe we could end here <laughs> before we go to the next episode. You said something, and I'm going to cry <laughs> probably as I... Uh, 
bring it up here, but you shared you shared a phrase uh, with me, and I shared it with my wife a few days ago, and it, we burst into tears when I shared it with her. Um, this phrase that Catholics sometimes will say to each other, especially when they embrace the reality of the body of Christ, the reality that we really receive Jesus at the Eucharistic table. And it's this phrase, I'll see you in the Eucharist. I'll see you in the Eucharist. That's the punchline, but there's something in front of that. And I just, I just want to stop talking and we can end with you sharing what that phrase means to us as Catholics. I'll see you in the Eucharist. Yeah, so don't make me cry, man. It's like when somebody, <laughs> you know, yawns in a room, you know, everybody starts yawning. It's like when somebody cries in church, like suddenly it's like a, <laughs> it's like the wave. There's another baseball analogy, but you know, we we I made a reference to this in the last episode. Uh and I I've, I've heard it a couple times and usually I hear it when I'm dropping off a journey home guest at the airport who I'm probably not going to see for like years and years and years, <laughs> right? And they're like I'll see you in the Eucharist. And I've only heard it a few times, but it's stuck with me because um that really what is communion? Like, think about it. To be in communion with Christ, the head of the church, means that Christ, he's also in communion with his body. Like, this ties the, this is all the nerve endings attached to one another. This is all the blood flowing through the same body, right? Um, that's what the Eucharist is. Uh, so, we've talked before in a couple of other episodes about the communion of saints and how that all works, right? That there's the church suffering. There's the church uh, triumphant. There's the church, um, you know, that the church triumphant being the saints, the church suffering being purgatory. There's the church militant, all of us who are still alive and in the body right now. We're all one, right? This is what, uh, it's a big chunk of what the last episode was about. All these things coming together. There's this episode that really drives this home of, of insights, a, a short one with Deacon Kevin Stevenson. And, uh, it's him reflecting on the impact of St. Augustine in his life. And he talked about how, uh, you know, he had a, a past and a background and some struggles intellectually and morally, much like St. Augustine had. And then he discovered St. Augustine and really read him. And uh, oddly enough, uh, this is Deacon Kevin Stevenson is his name, married a lady named Monica. <laughs> so there's all these connections. Um but in, on top of that, Deacon Kevin Stevenson is an African-American and discovering Augustine's from Africa and like having just like layers and layers of connection with St. Augustine. And one of the last things he says in this episode is he says, I believe in the Eucharist. He's praying for me. Well, it's one thing to say, I believe that St. Augustine's up there looking out for me, right? Point to the sky. It's another thing to say that in the Eucharist, he's praying for me, right? I'm in communion with Christ, but I'm also communion with anybody who's in communion with Christ. So when I receive communion, it's not just me connected to Jesus. This is not me and Jesus happening. It's not just me connected with the people at my parish in Maryland. It's not just me connected with Kenny in Virginia and Ken in California. It's me connected with Augustine and Ignatius and Teresa of Avila and Josephine Bakita and like, it's the whole thing. It blows the mind. So. Amen. Almost, I, I made it through without crying all the way, Ken and Kenny. Oh, it's just so you know. Powerful well, stuff. Thank God. Somebody else is going to have to talk for a minute, though. Well, I am. Um, it just reminds me of the beginning of the Mass where we 
where we pray our prayer of confession and we wind up saying, the Blessed Virgin, ever, you know, Mother of God, all the angels and saints, it, you're back to that again now. In the Eucharist, you're united with all of them. Amen. And the reason I can the reason I can say this now is that while you guys were talking, I went off and I just bawled my eyes out. No, you got it out of your system. <laughs> yeah. No. Anyway. Okay. Great. Uh, all I can say is thank God for the Eucharist. Thank God for the teaching and the, and the you know the truth of the Catholic faith that we have, by God's grace and and love, found and been drawn into and it's just such a joy you know to be in communion with jesus and his church at the eucharist yeah go find some obscure saint whose story you find fascinating and guess what you're with them every time you receive communion i mean it's Amen. it's it's an incredible thing to ponder so well we're almost done i promise we've done another episode of spending an hour or so on four-minute section of the Mass. But we're getting close to the end, and I appreciate everybody's patience with this. I don't know about you all. I'm actually having a lot of fun uh, digging into this and, and going layer by layer, and we're leaving tons of stuff out, um, even with as long as we're going. But if you want to go back and watch uh, previous episodes, go to chnetwork.org. Uh, they have, well, we have uh, all kinds of episodes, a hundred and some of them. Uh, that you can go through on various topics, including several that we've been doing on the Mass. Uh, you can go to chnetwork.org slash donate if you want to support our work and keep it uh, keep it going along. And of course, if you're having these questions, um, even questions about some of the stuff we might have mentioned today and you wanted to go to an extra layer that we didn't get to, then come visit us in the online community. That's community.chnetwork.org. I'm Matt Swaim, and uh, it's great to be with you. Ken Hensley, Kenny Burchard, thanks so much, gentlemen. Have a great day. Okay, we'll see God you. God bless you.